Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Pick a niche, a real estate model that you want to follow, learn as much as you can about it, become an expert in that field and get a coach to help you gain that expertise. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service. Here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Kim, Lisa Taylor, how you doing, Kim? I'm great. How are you, Joe? I'm great as well. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Kim. She is the founder of Syndication Attorneys, a boutique corporate securities law firm. She's written over 100 security offerings and joint venture agreements for entrepreneurs raising money from private investors. 
And, well, she's highly sought-after speaker, lawyer, and author. She's based in St. Augustine, Florida. And check out her company at syndicationattorneys.com, which is a link in the show notes page. With that being said, Kim, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, I'm a real estate securities attorney, and I've been doing this since 2008. I'm also a real estate investor and a real estate developer myself, so I have some kind of firsthand experience in the real estate investing world. I also have a broker's license, and I've attended numerous real estate guru events around the country, learning a lot of different real estate investing techniques to be able to serve my legal clients better. And I, too, was born in Michigan. I see you were as well. Oh, cool. What part? East Lansing. Sweet. Well, it's nice to talk to someone who's also born in the same state as I was. And I have a monthly meetup and I was talking about in this meetup, some of the lessons I've learned on the show. And one of the lessons was that if you raise money from someone and they're expecting to make money off of you passively, then it's a security. And then they asked me a follow-up question, and I felt like an idiot because I was like, well, I don't know. So I have to ask you this question. What about hard money lenders? Because don't they give you money passively, and they're expecting you to make them money, but there's no security documents involved there? Well, they're in the business of loaning money, so the onus of legal compliance falls then on them to make sure that they're in compliance with lending laws. So the same set of securities rules that apply when you're dealing with private investors who aren't in the business of lending their money is different than the relationship that you would have with hard money lenders. Mm, Okay, there's the distinction. So if I, as Joe Fairless, were to come across a fix and flipper locally, and they said, you know what, Joe, I got this deal. It's a fix and flip. I need $50,000. And I think I can give you a 12% interest rate with two points at closing. And I say, you know, I've never done this before, but that sounds good. Sure. Is that a security? Well, if you're borrowing money from private individuals, then yes, you're actually offering them a piece of paper, which is promissory note in exchange for their money. Then you're offering them security and you're selling security. Got it. So in that case, what legal documentation would need to be filed? Well, that's a really loaded question because there's (laughs) a lot of different levels of how you would need to address something like that. If you're just borrowing money from one person one time, it's an isolated transaction. You really don't need to do anything. Nobody's going to be concerned about that or if you're borrowing from family members. But it's when you start going out to people that you meet at local real estate investment clubs or other acquaintances that you have to start to take more caution. And certainly when you get to the point where your business depends on repeated borrowing, I call that a serial borrower. When you're in the serial borrowing business, you should start paying attention to securities laws. And the obligations when you're selling securities are things like you have to give disclosure to your investors of all the different things that could go wrong in the way that they might not get paid back. Because someone in the business of loaning you money already knows that. But somebody who's not in the business, they don't understand those risks. So you have an obligation to share that with them. Additionally, you have the obligation to give them all the information they need to make informed consent. 
that means that you've got to tell them all about that deal, where it is, what you plan to do with it, how you're going to spend the money, how you're going to get rid of it, how you're going to dispose of that property and all of that. So those are the kinds of obligations you start to incur when you're selling securities. The other things is that you have to qualify either your offering of securities to your investors, either by having it pre-approved by a regulatory agency or qualifying for an exemption from registration of calls. So there are many different exemptions that might apply to someone's situation. It just depends on how much they're raising, where the investors are located, what kind of financial qualifications the investors might have, whether or not the person that needs the money is advertising for that money, then knowing all of those things, a securities attorney would be able to help them decide what would be the appropriate exemption and then help them understand those rules so they could follow them and not get in trouble. That's helpful. So let's use a specific example because I know it's different if you go across state lines, but if you have everything contained within one state, then those are different requirements. That's correct, right? Yeah, there's something called an interstate offering exemption that if you, the property and all of the investors are contained within one state, then you're going to look to see if there's a securities exemption in that state that would apply to your situation and you're going to follow the rules for that exemption. Where do you look if there's a security exemption in that state? Is that security exemptions and then Ohio or California or whatever, just on a Google search? Yeah, you could start with that. It's usually going to be buried somewhere in some financial regulations, so it could be a little tricky to try to find. But at the state level, those kinds of regulations, those intrastate regulations are called blue sky laws. Don't ask me why, but that's just the name that they've developed over time. So if you looked up a Google search on blue sky laws in Ohio, then you would probably get directed to the right location where you could look at those different securities exemptions in Ohio. Okay. So now let's use a specific example. We'll use Florida where you're at. And we'll use a real estate investor in Florida has a fix and flip and they reach out to another real estate investor who they have a relationship with. And they're like, hey, I need $50,000 to do this fix and flip and I'll give you 10% a year and a couple points at closing. Just so I'm clear, what documentation in that example should they have? Okay, it's going to largely depend on the qualifications of the investor. Which right? one? So Which one? The, the one who has of, the money? Of the one who's, yeah, the one who's providing the money. Okay. All right? So if that investor, first of all, if they're a hard money lender, then they're going to provide the promissory note and the documents that you want to use. So that person who's Speaking the money doesn't need to really worry about providing in this case document. In this case, they're not a hard money lender. They've invested in real estate, but they've never done this before. They've never passively loaned money in this structure. First of all, you're going to need to have a promissory note. Uh-huh. If that person is an accredited investor, so that means there's someone who has over a million dollars net worth or over $200,000 income annually if they're single or $300,000 if they're a married couple. If they meet one of those definitions, then they're an accredited investor. Accredited investors are presumed to be rich and smart enough to be able to protect their own interests. So you probably really don't need much more than just that promissory note. Mm -hmm. But when you start going out and 
bringing in a lot of accredited investors and you're doing this again and again and again, every time you do it, your exposure increases. So you want to protect yourself. You can protect yourself by having a private placement memorandum or an offering circular that will explain what you're doing with the money and all of those risks and provide all of those material facts. And what that document does is it shifts the risk of loss from you to that investor because now that investor is assuming the risk of the investment because they've been fully informed. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have that document and all you're using is a promissory note, maybe you can be compliant with the law, but you're giving yourself a lot of risk. It's like driving without insurance. And what about if that investor who has the money, who's wanting to lend it to the other one, what if they're not accredited? Well, then you probably have an obligation to provide that disclosure document. So under Florida law, the interstate offering exemption, it's called a private offering exemption in Florida, requires that if you have anybody who's not accredited, then you have to provide this offering circular in the federal realm. It's called a private placement memorandum, generally the same type of document. And that is a 100-plus page document that tells them all the different ways they can lose their money. It's not that big. I think <laughs> Mine are. <laughs> maybe I have too many disclosures. <laughs> yeah, maybe you don't need quite that many. Yeah, I think the ones that we draft are about 50 pages. Okay. And so... Putting ourselves, and I'm not a fix and flipper, but let's pretend we're a fix and flipper. If we're a fix and flipper in Florida and we're trying to grow our business, so far we've done all of our deals with our own money. Now we've reached out to this one person we know who's not accredited but came into $100,000 and wants to invest it. As a fix and flipper who wants to partner with this person and give them the structure I mentioned earlier, 10% interest, a couple points at closing. I need to have a private placement memorandum? Well, if you're just going to do it again as an isolated transaction, it's not a big deal. But if this is going to be part of your business model going forward, that this is just the first person and you plan to do it again and again, then you need to set yourself up to be able to do it correctly and, all of the time. And why is there a distinction between the two? Why isn't it just one way or the other? Well, technically, you should be doing it every single time. Okay. But the reality of it is that people aren't going to do that. So if someone were to come to me with the same scenario, I would say do not use that person's money in that way. Don't borrow their money. Set up a joint venture with them where they remain actively in control of their money and they're the ones who's making decisions on how their money's going to be spent. The shift into the world of securities comes when you're taking control of someone else's money. And they're no longer in control of how that money is being spent. Yep. So if you get a member-managed LLC with that person, took title to the property, and then the two of you collaborated when you needed money for something, then you would say, hey, can you write a check for this or that? Let them be the one actively in control of their own money, and then you don't have to worry about all of the risks and all that. Mm -hmm. So just simply do a joint venture agreement where it's member-managed LLC. That's right. Because if you create a manager-managed LLC, by definition, now you've put them in that role of being a passive investor and you've put that investment back into being a security. What else 
commonly comes up, and maybe this doesn't commonly come up, maybe I just came up with a scenario, but I do think for fix and flippers, this is an important topic. But other than what we've discussed, what else can you think of that you want to mention as it relates to securities law that we should talk about? Well, I can talk about some of my most successful clients, and I can tell you that the characteristics that every one of them share is that they have figured out what investment model they want to use, whether it's single-family, mobile home parks, or if it's multifamily, commercial properties. They've picked a niche, and they've gotten really good at that niche. They've gotten coaching in that niche, and they've actually hired a coach who has helped them get their first few deals done. And after that, they've gone on and done their own deals, and they've been able to partner with other people who were just starting out. So, so my best advice is pick a niche, a real estate model that you want to follow, learn as much as you can about it, become an expert in that field, and get a coach to help you gain that expertise. And then to get your first couple of deals done, maybe you're going to partner with a more experienced person who's already syndicated a few deals already put multifamily or whatever your thing is together and done it before you, partner with them, learn the ropes, and then you're going to be able to leverage off from their experience. What niche have you focused on from an investing standpoint? I have single family properties and also multifamily apartment complex as well as 13 lot luxury housing development. And which one has been pound for pound the most profitable for you? Definitely the multifamily yields the best returns. Where is that from a geographical standpoint, and can you tell us about it? Our property is in Ohio. Uh, It's in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, Columbus. Columbus. Yeah. Our property, we're planning to turn it into condominiums and sell it, and that's how it's going to be profitable for us because Mm. it's kind of a smaller property. But leveraging off of my client's experience, the ones that have – gone into the bigger properties. If you get into the properties where you have a million-dollar loan balance and 100 units or more, those are definitely the most lucrative. Multifamily is definitely an area where it's better to go big than it is to stay small because you can get non-recourse loans if you have over $750,000 loan balance now with Mac, And also, you can hire professional property managers when you get to critical mass the number of units. So you can hire your own full-time staff at the property and you have complete control over those people versus trying to rely on a local property manager who's going to give your property part of its attention. I know you mentioned earlier your best advice, but I didn't ask you the question and I've got this lead-up music and everything when I asked that question. So I have faith that you're going to come up with something even better than that. So what is your best real estate investing advice ever? You have to do two things. If you want to be able to syndicate properties, then you need two things. You need to pick the business model. We talked about that. But the second most important thing is you have to develop a network of potential investors. So in order to do that, you've got to go out and meet people. And you've got to meet them in all different kinds of settings that you can possibly come up with from your social groups, local to you, real estate investment association meetings, guru events business associations, you can host your own educational events, or online marketing and SEO. And we should definitely publicly advertise even if we have a 506B offering, right? 
if you have the 506 kidding, D off, then you're, you're not allowed to advertise. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yes, 506 C. That's where we publicly advertise. 506 B, we keep it amongst our circle of friends and colleagues. That's right. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Ready to bring your real estate investing dreams to life? Learn how to get focused, gain momentum, and the proven roadmap to make it happen with the Time for Investing Masterclass. Doors for enrollment are now open. Reserve your spot today with Neva at Neva, N-E-V-A, at timeforinvesting.com. Best ever book you've read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Best ever deal you've done? Lot development in South Carolina. What's a mistake you've made on a particular transaction that you've been involved in? Staying small when it was probably much more profitable to go big. So buying too small when I should have been having my sights on bigger properties. Best ever way you like to give back? Teaching. And where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is through the website at syndicationattorneys.com. And there's a place they can schedule a free consultation if they'd like or call. And there's a lot of free information on the website there, articles and podcasts. And we'll post this one there. Excellent. Well, Kim, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for clarifying things in my mind and helping the best ever listeners who fix and flip, helping them think about how they should be approaching bringing in investors, what type of documentation is needed and what isn't necessarily needed or not practically needed. And then talking about the disclosures, the PPMs, etc., as well as your focus on making sure that we are doing as large of deals as we can and not thinking too small, especially with multifamily. The numbers are in the larger stuff. So thanks for being on the show, Kim. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Ready to bring your real estate investing dreams to life? Learn how to get focused, gain momentum, and the proven roadmap to make it happen with the Time for Investing Masterclass. Doors for enrollment are now open. Reserve your spot today with Neva at Neva, N-E-V-A, at timeforinvesting.com.